Good morning. Oh, good to see you all uh, this morning. My name is Kondo. For those of you who I've not had the privilege of meeting uh, yet, I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Mission Point, and it is. It's so, so good to be together in the house of the Lord. I was just thinking and reflecting on this earlier. It, it's just something we take for granted, that every week we get together with this kind of freedom, with God's people in God's house to raise our voices, to raise our hands to Him Um, And um, I just wonder if days aren't coming when we will remember how precious these moments were. And so I just pause and say once again, how good to be in the house of the Lord with God's people. So good to see you um, all. Listen, before we we get into um, our text for this morning, I just want to say uh, to those of you who are guests with us, welcome. So, so glad that you joined us. We, we don't take lightly the, the kind of courage it takes to step into a relatively new environment and meet a relatively new group of people, some who uh, may be crazy. You don't know, but you braved it and you came anyway. And the, with all the things you could be doing, you chose to be here. So thank you for being with us. We trust the Lord will meet you in beautiful and special um, ways. And for those of you who call Mission Point home, you are family. So good to be together with you. Welcome home um, to you. And to those of you particularly who um, week after week labor to serve, um, using your gifts to, to volunteer in different ways here, I cannot say thank you enough. In fact, can we show some love for those of you who volunteer on a regular basis? Oh, man. Uh, from those of you who meet people and help them park and say hello when we come in the doors and you help people find their seats and help lead us in worship and are putting magical pictures on the screens. And those of you who are here in this service because you got up early to be here last service to serve our kids, thank you so much. The church would not be what it is um, apart from you. Uh, we are in uh, the third week of a, a series that creatively we've called Psalms. And um, we are looking at some of the more well-known Psalms of the Old Testament. And just a real quick recap, the Psalms are really 150 songs um, that have been collected over about 1,500 years in the Old Testament, composed by about six or so different authors at least. And it's just people who are reaching for God and who are being raw and real and honest with God and are finding him to be everything that they need. And uh, so we have so much to learn as we look um, in this book together, and we're excited to continue here um, this morning. But before we get to um, our text, uh, just a real quick pop quiz. Help me out. This is, um, requires a little bit of response. Um, finish this statement for me. If you can't say something nice, what? Okay, I thought that was just a Zambian proverb. You guys have heard this as well. Um, That's so good. That will help us out this morning. You know, uh, if you're anything like me, then you grew up with this little nugget of truth drilled into the very DNA of your being from the time you were a kid. Uh, So if you have, you know, less than pleasant feelings uh, about less than pleasant things done by a less than pleasant person, well, uh, the best thing for you is to just stuff it down and fake plaster a smile on your face. It's what Jesus would want. That's how I I grew up. So somebody might have uh, attacked you or even abused you or even abandoned you. But if you don't have anything nice to say, if you can't say something nice, then fake it, pretend, uh, stuff it deep down. That's how I grew up. Um, And on top of that, I grew up in a patriarchal, hierarchical culture. And my dad wasn't a mean man, but he took on an authoritarian role, which means that what he said went His decisions were final. There wasn't room for negotiation. There wasn't room for questioning. There wasn't room for talking back. Don't sass me, boy. At least not if you wanted to live and talk uh, about it. You, you, You just did what he said. You didn't have to like it, but you had to pretend you liked uh, the decisions that he made. And so I learned from a very, very early age that there's really no room 
uh, to express feelings of pain, to express feelings of hurt. It just wasn't something that we did. It just wasn't something that was particularly encouraged. Um, and so growing up, that was tough because I felt feelings of anger. I mean, I three little sisters, so they annoyed me on a regular basis. And at school, the older kids were, you know, perpetual bullies, and they made my life uh, pretty miserable. But, you know, if you can't say anything nice, and you know, you just sleep it off. And then when that one girl broke my heart in, in middle school, I didn't feel anything nice. Therefore, I didn't have anything nice to say about it. And so if you don't have anything nice to say, then you lock yourself in your room and you cry alone and you talk to no one. It's what, it's what Jesus would want, obviously. It made marriage really interesting, by the way, because every now and then something might happen that I'm not 100% thrilled with. Um, but you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, then, you know, you lie. You lie. Um, <laughs> And you just build your relationship on that solid foundation right <laughs> there. But there are times when I'm not entirely thrilled. And the thing I'm not entirely thrilled about is the thing my wife wants to know. Aren't you just thrilled? Um, but if you can't say something nice. So needless to say, when I became a Christian, uh, I just cross-applied those rules to my relationship with God. It only made sense. Um, he's my spiritual dad. And um, so I assume there's no room to feel or express pain um, or displeasure. In fact, I grew up believing that spiritual maturity uh, meant that you figured out how to be sweet and you figured out how to be strong and say nice things always, regardless of how you felt. Because if you can't say anything nice, so when my path turned painful on many occasions, I, and especially when I felt like God was the one making the call, so at least I felt like God could have uncalled the call, and he didn't. He wasn't holding up his end of the bargain. I don't have anything nice to say about him, but what do you do when you can't say anything nice and the person you can't say anything nice to or about is God? Well, of course, you fake it with Christian platitudes and, and you go talking about our sovereign God and all your sovereign goodness and you use a lot of thou's because that distracts him from the reality of the fact that you're not thrilled with him at this moment. Because there's no room to express hurt and pain and displeasure with God. So... I faked it. Uh, imagine my surprise and imagine my relief, my freedom when I turned to Psalm 13. And what I found in Psalm 13 was a man who felt feelings less than pleasant, like the feelings I felt. And, and he dared to express them and, and he lived to talk about it. Imagine how freeing it was to open the pages of Scripture and find a man who doesn't seem to have anything nice to say to God, but he says it anyway, real and raw and sassy. So if you have a copy of the Scriptures, um, turn to Psalm 13. Um, for the most part, a... Uh, an emotionally charged and dark psalm. And, um, but we want to spend some time in it anyway, because I trust when it's all said and done, the Lord uh, may just use it to um, free us and invite us closer to himself. Um, uh, psalm 13, by the way, is a psalm of lament. Um, so in musical genre, this song here in Psalm 13, it's just, it's kind of like depressing music. Um, it's like the, you know, like the country music of scripture. It's like <laughs> emo, you know, it's what Adele and Coldplay would collab on, you know, if they wrote something just really sad. Um, David is walking through a painful stretch that's it's driven him to the point of despair. He's not 
feeling anything nice, needless to say. Now, we don't know exactly what it is that has David stuck in this dark place, which I think is actually a grace to us. I think it's part of God's goodness to us. We don't know what had David in this very difficult place, which means that regardless of what season of darkness you may have gone through, or what season of darkness you may be going through now, or what season of darkness, believe it or not, you will go through soon. This passage, this chapter, this song connects with us. It relates to us. It identifies with us without asking the question, well, well, how severe is your darkness compared to somebody else's darkness? And, And how long has yours lasted versus somebody else's? It doesn't define it, so it invites us all into a place where we can identify readily. And I love his grace in that. And I think we might just be surprised and maybe even freed by the kinds of things we find one of the godliest men in Scripture experiencing and expressing. And by the way, at the end of the day, we just want to see and land on something really, really simple. Um, but let's read, uh, let's, let's read the first four verses um, of this psalm together. And here's how it starts. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And then verse 4 says, And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Did you know that the Bible talks like this. And I'm like, uh, 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 excuse me, not nice. Not very nice things to say. Um, this song, this psalm opens with four questions that are directed at God. And all of these four questions are essentially asking God, what are you waiting for? What's taking you so long? Four times David asked the question, how long? How long? How long? How long? In fact, if we're honest, these are emotionally loaded statements. Because when you read them, you realize these are rhetorical questions. Which means David is just expressing, he's making a statement to God, almost as though pointing his finger and accusing God of four different things. David is not holding back, and he doesn't seem all that concerned about saying anything nice. If I talk to my dad the way David is talking to God in this psalm, expresses four things that he's experiencing, almost as accusations. And the first one he expresses is a feeling of disregard. He he expresses feelings of disregard from God. Look at the first part of verse 1 again. He says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Are you, are you, are you going to just stand there and disregard my pain? How long are you going to stand indifferent to what I am going through? What are you waiting for? Um, you know, one of the, the best inventions over the last uh, couple of decades or so, in my personal opinion is a feature on the phone called the caller ID. It's beautiful. Because someone calls you, and when they do, their name and their number pops up right on your phone, which invites you to get in touch with your inner evaluator, your inner choice maker. Because now you get to decide, do I open the door and let this person into my life? Or nah. And if the answer is no, there is conveniently placed, thank you, Steve Jobs, a red decline button that allows me to say, no thanks, rejected, 
I don't want to talk to you. Now, I don't know how you make decisions about what calls you ignore or you don't. But you go, you know, call comes in, you, you ask yourself a number of questions. Question, the kind of questions I ask, I'm just be honest, is do I recognize this number? I'm not adventurous. If I don't recognize the number, I'm not about to find out who you are. Nope, ignore, decline. You know, you ask questions like, um, do I like this person? And just like I expected, somebody's calling me right now. Nope, decline. I don't like this person, so I'm not going to answer the, answer the phone. Because I do like you. I'm not, not going to call you out, although I should. Um, <laughs> do I like the person? If not, nope, decline. Do I owe the person money? Nope. Decline. Why is my parole officer calling me on this line? Nope. Decline. Are you a chatty Kathy? How long do you keep me on the phone? It's more than 30 seconds. I don't have time for that. Nope. Decline. I don't know how you do it. But it's one of the most beautiful features ever invented, of course, unless you're on the other end of it saying, I just need 20 seconds to run something by you. In fact, it's kind of an emergency. Then it's not so beautiful a feature. My friends did this to me, by the way. They knew I was in the habit of this, so they would see me in the grocery store. They know I don't like being in the grocery store, and then they would call me and watch what I do. I'm like, BFF calling. <laughs> nope, decline, and they don't emerge from like the fruit aisle. I saw you! <laughs> saw what you did! I could have been in a ditch dying. And at that point, I'm like, if you're in a ditch dying, don't call me. <laughs> call 911, dummy. But then, um, you know, my friends are like, real friends don't ignore friends' calls, um, which is exactly what David is saying in the language he uses when he's speaking to God. The word that he says when he says forget is actually better translated ignore. It's ignore. Because it's not that you don't see who's calling. No, God, you see who's calling. And it's not that you don't know what's going on. You know my life is actually turned upside down in a ditch and I'm dying. And I'm calling the appropriate number, selling this, sending this SOS to heaven. And you are looking at my call and it feels like you are pressing decline. Reject. I don't want to talk to you. I don't have time for your version of drama. The word he's using here, forget, is a much more intentional word of ignoring. In fact, it's, it's a word we would use in our rude colloquialism when we would say, forget you. Thank you, CeeLo Green. Right? This is kind of the language that's being used here. It's like, I don't have time for your drama type of language. It is the old, like, talk to the hand. Very intentional disregard of who it is that is engaging me. And what David is saying here in Psalm 13 verse 1 is, I am going through a dark time and it feels like you keep rejecting my phone calls. You keep refusing to answer my call. I feel dis regarded and fathers don't ignore desperate kids calls how much longer will you reject my appeal I mean, have you ever felt that way i mean okay, let's just Feel the freedom. I mean, not to answer out loud, but to be honest, again, I did not grow up in a church environment where it was okay to acknowledge certain kinds of feelings, and this would be one of them. But don't you ever just feel like God is saying, I don't have time to answer your call. I realize you're in a crisis, but not a crisis that registers in my list of priorities. Reject. Decline. Ignore. Like, it's just not interested in being reached, at least not by you. Because I'm sure we can all agree, there's never a situation where God doesn't recognize your name. He has your name saved in his contact book of life. It's not that he doesn't recognize. He knows your number. In fact, he knows the number of hairs on your head. That's not the issue. He's not unaware of your situation. He sees everything, which can only mean he is hitting ignore because he knows what's going on. And he can hear me. I saw you, God. And you refused to engage me as David is in this crisis. 
I'm just saying graduation is coming up, Lord. And you keep hitting ignore. I just need 20 seconds for you to tell me what do I do next with my life? My kids are making some really destructive decisions. And we've been trying to reach you. We've been trying to reach you. And you're like, I don't have time to talk to you about your kids. My husband is becoming more and more belligerent. And I'm throwing these SOSs in your direction. And you keep rejecting me. God, bills are piling up. The eviction notice is just moments away from hitting our doorstep. And and here you are, refusing to answer our calls. Do you ever feel like your pain just isn't big enough or good enough to earn God's attention? I just wanted you to know, you're not immature or insecure because you feel that way. One of the godliest men in all of Scripture says, I felt like God was disregarding me. I love that this psalm can identify with those feelings in us when we're going through difficult times, in case you thought it was just you. But but then David goes on and and he expresses to God these feelings of distance. It's feelings of distance. Look at the second part of verse 1. It says, how long will you hide your face from me? How long will you hide your face from me? Um, When my daughter has nightmares... Um, she does this thing. And I know I've I've shared um, this a little bit before, but when she has nightmares, middle of the night, she'll wake up in a sweat. And her instinctive thing to do is to get out of her bed and to run downstairs and just mess up our lives by jumping in our beds. And then she's out. She goes to sleep right away. And it's interesting. She's not particularly interested in talking about the details of the dream. She just wants to feel her parents near her. And by parents, I mainly mean her mom, because I don't have much compassion. But she wants to feel her mom near her. And once she feels that, she's good. She goes back to sleep. Um, That's somewhat of the language David is using. He says, I've woken up in a living nightmare. And I am searching the house and you cannot be found anywhere. I'm not asking for much. We don't even need to talk about all that's going on. I'm not even asking you for an answer, God. I just need you to hold me just for a second and I'll be okay. And God is nowhere to be found. But David knows God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He sees everything. So it can only mean he's standing in a distance corner shadow somewhere in the house just watching me freak out while he hides his face he can see me but he won't let me see him and i'm panicking here and he's watching and this is what david is saying to god how long are you going to hide your face like you don't see me but you see me but you won't let me see you and therefore i can't rest It's not just that we lost a baby, God. It's that our hearts are living this nightmare and you seem so distant, nowhere to be found. We're not asking for much. We're just saying, would you allow us to feel the presence? Would you allow us to feel your comfort? Would you allow us to nestle in your arms just for a moment? And yet it's in this season when we need you the most that you seem to be hiding your face. I mean, God, if you won't provide a spouse, would you at least come close and allow me to feel your presence so it's not just a cutesy saying that God is enough? Would you please come near so I don't feel like I'm living in this big house all by myself, but it's in these moments where I feel my loneliness scream the most that you seem to be the most distant hiding in the shadows. How long, God? What are you waiting for? This feels kind of cruel, this distance between us. 
It's the anniversary of her passing. And God, we don't ask you much. I'm not saying be present. I'm not saying be experienced by us for 12 months. But this month, just this month, is that too much to ask? Because I know you can see us. And I know you know our heart is broken. But yet, you seem to be hiding your face. David is saying, I just want my father to hold me. I just want to feel his presence. And yet, he's hiding in the shadows like a cruel absentee dad. And I just wanted you to know that the man after God's own heart felt distant from the God whose heart he was after. It's not just you. And it means there's room for that in our experiences. This doesn't make you some immature second-rate Christian. Especially when everybody else is talking about, yeah, talk to God this morning. And he was saying, and you're like, wait, what? You're not even going through anything. And he's chatting with you. And there's room to feel God's distance. But then David gets a little bit more intense. And I don't know if we're, we're ready for this because he, he asks a question, a rhetorical question that reveals feelings of depression. Let me say that again. Depression. I grew up in a church where even saying that word would have people considering exiting. I grew up in a church where if you ever confessed a feeling like that, David, you're definitely for sure taken out of the running for deacon, at least. Don't sign up to help with the children if, if that's your issue. And yet here's David confessing that he is feeling Depression. Look at the first part of verse 2. He says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Uh, when God was leading uh, his people, the Israelites, through the treacherous wilderness, he did something pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> he gave them two pillars. Um, one was a pillar made of clouds. Uh, the other was a pillar made of fire. And the pillar of cloud would lead them uh, during the day. And then the pillar of fire would lead them at night. So it's so a day and night, night and day. It didn't really matter when. Wherever you were, whatever you were doing, you could always see Either a, a pillar of clouds or this flame hovering over your heads 24 hours a day. It's pretty cool. David uses the same imagery, but the way he uses it isn't so cool. He's saying, I am constantly feeling depressed in this season. If it's not some cloud hovering over my heart, it's despair that, that is hovering over my mind. Day and night, night and day, I can't seem to escape this feeling of being down and depressed. It will not let up. It will not give any sign or any sense of relief. I can't tell you. How shocking it was. The first time I saw a man of God confessing this, I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling this sense of despair, God. This is, is so powerful. My, my thoughts are being tormented. I, I literally have to convince myself to wake up in the morning. I have to remind myself to eat throughout the day. I have to continue to talk myself off the ledge. In fact, in some of your versions of the Bible, you read where David uses the language, I function as my own therapist. I am barely keeping my head above water, having to continue to talk to myself, to move one more inch forward. 
I have these moments where I feel a little bit of relief as if the sun is breaking through into this darkness of depression, but something will remind me of the pain and I am done all over again. My heart is is breaking. It's pumping pain to the rest of my body. I have to pretend not to be crying just to do anything else. He's painting a powerful picture of going through a deep emotional valley. And I do, I wonder if, you know, his loss, the loss of his firstborn son, when his son was just a baby, isn't coming back to revisit him. I wonder if the wave of loss isn't hitting him over and over and over Again, and he's asking God, will my heart ever stop bleeding? See, because all of these self-righteous people continue to quote me verses and they tell me how I should be over it by now. But Lord, I'm not over it. I must not be strong enough. How long will I continue to have everything remind me of him? It's feeling depression. I wonder if maybe David's messed up family is breaking this dad's heart. Some of you know, but there were seasons where David's kids hated him, tried to kill him, to to take his throne. That can't be easy on the heart. I wonder if this is some of what he's experiencing, some of what he's living through. There was a situation in which David's household was wrecked by incest. And I wonder if voices aren't just continuing to plague him, convincing him you are a loser of a dad. You're a terrible dad. Look how messed up and dysfunctional your family is keeping him in this valley of depression. Some of us can relate. How long will my heart ache over this loss of love or this loss of a loved one? I feel like I come up for breath and then... I'm down again. I feel like I'm miserable all the time, night and day, day and night. It feels like I always have these health issues which which make me less than an awesome mom, and that makes me feel worse day and night, night and day. I try to talk myself out of it. I try to be my own therapist. I try to be bigger. I try to be stronger. I try to be more spiritual like all of these other people, but it doesn't seem to work. God, how long are you going to let me sit in this valley where everything I feel is ache, is pain? Did you know one of the godliest men on earth struggled with feelings of depression? Doesn't make you immature. Doesn't make you strange. In fact, some of us have wondered, is there any way God would use me with some of these things that I'm going through? Read David's biography. This is a man God used so powerfully. The same guy who's kind of sassing. Back talk. And on top of that, expressing feelings of depression. But then David goes one more step um, and he expresses struggling with feelings of defeat. Um, Feelings of defeat. Look at the way he says it. Second part of verse 2. He says, how long will my enemy triumph over me? How long will my enemy triumph over me. Um, I don't know how much you know about David. Some of you know a lot about him. Some of you not so much. But let me tell you this truth about David. This dude was a bad man. I mean, Michael Jackson bad. This dude was an unbelievable guy. The greatest king Ever, the most brilliant military strategist the world has ever known, in my opinion. If he went to war against another nation, he was winning the war against that nation. 
brilliant. He figured out a way to annihilate his enemies. And he'd been doing it since he was a boy. From lions and bears to that dude Goliath. To to the nations that warred against Israel. He would just whoop these folks. Which makes it really interesting that he is now confessing to feeling that there is something that is conquering this great conquering king. There is a battle that I cannot seem to win. In fact, my enemy is standing over me. Now, knowing the track record of David on the military battlefield, I have to wonder if what he's describing isn't a different kind of enemy than a military force. I wonder if David's not talking about inner demons that he's wrestling with. And more than wrestling with, that seem to be pinning him. Kicking his butt. Um, I do, I wonder if it isn't his past, maybe, revisiting him as he remembers. I, uh, I took a man's life in order to have the man's wife. And I'm being haunted by what I've done. I'm being haunted by the past messes that I've made. And no matter what strategy I apply, no matter what military thing I draw up, I cannot seem to get past it. I wonder if that's not a piece of it. I wonder if he's not maybe struggling with some of his propensity, some of the things that got him in trouble in the first place. I wonder if David isn't experiencing some level of temptation where I keep being drawn back to the same things over and over and over again. And I know I feel like I should be past it right now, but here I am again. And it doesn't just seem like I'm struggling. It seems like I'm losing to this thing. And it's standing over me in victory as I lay here in defeat. God, how long are you going to let this issue continue? Continue to bring me down. How long are you going to let my past continue to haunt me? How long, how long, how long? I feel like my life is one marked by defeat. And some of us can connect and relate to David in this place. Because addiction feels like it's just standing over you. I mean, it starts with a nightcap, but it continually ends up with you with a major headache in the morning. And no matter what you do, you cannot seem to get the better of that particular struggle. Or you just can't stop gambling over whatever it is, even though you know this enemy is trying to destroy you. I mean, porn is just gloating over one more defeat over your life. Of course you cut again. We've been winning this battle for how many years now? As the enemy triumphs. And that's what David is describing. And some of us can relate to, some of us can identify with this. And for some of us, it is our past. Something you did in middle school, something you did in high school, something you did in your first marriage that still hovers over you like a cloud that won't leave day and night, night and day. But not only that, it's pressing you down and keeping you from moving forward at all. I'll tell you, as a, as a pastor, this is a, this is a crazy, crazy thing. Um, because I don't know if you knew this, but when I went to seminary, they gave me um, this, it's like a, I don't know, it's just a small pill that did away with all of my struggles. And so once we took that as seminary students, We no longer had any issues. And I honestly believed there's something about becoming a pastor that that should mean that I no longer struggle with with any issues. And I'm telling you, it is hard for me when I look at my life and realize the things that I'm still struggling with, that I've been struggling with for years, I should be past this by now. What kind of pastor am I if I'm still struggling and if I'm still feeling like, man, I'm falling in these areas and, and my enemy is triumphing over me. I know I can relate to David. I don't know about you, but I know I am so thankful for a man after God's own heart who still has moments where he feels defeated. Do you know that Psalm 13 
identifies with you in that. One of the godliest men in Scripture felt disregarded, and he felt distant from God. He felt depressed, and he felt defeated in his struggle. If you feel any of those things, this psalm meets you right there. I I didn't grow up knowing some of this. Um, I, I didn't grow up realizing any of this. And I felt like I lost years because of it. I didn't know there was anyone that God liked who could relate with my deepest feelings and my darkest struggles. And so Psalm 13 was just a breath of fresh air and a breath of freedom. As this guy who wrote almost half of the book of Psalms confesses some of the things that I feel sometimes and feel ashamed for feeling most of those times. So listen, if you've ever felt any of those things, disregarded, distant, depressed, defeated, whatever, there is room for you. If there was room for David, there is room for you in the heart and the story of God. Don't let that discourage. Don't let that derail you. There is room for you in God's heart. But listen, the real question of Psalm 13 is not really whether or not you can identify with any of those feelings. It's a much simpler question than that. The question of Psalm 13 is whether or not you have ever dared to express any of those feelings to God. Because if you can't say something nice, The real question, in fact, this psalm is not primarily so we can identify. That's beautiful, that's powerful, that's liberating. It's ultimately an invitation to God's people to dare to enter into the place that David entered where he actually shared these things raw and real with his God. The question is, have you ever shared some of the deepest, darkest places where you struggle, where you wrestle, where you fail, where you feel depressed, where you feel discouraged, where you feel depressed and discouraged for the 50th time? That's the question. That's the invitation of Psalm 13. Well, I know he sees everything, and he knows everything, so obviously he sees my despair, and um, so um, I'm not going to say anything to him. That's not how David lived. That is not the invitation of the Psalms. That is not the invitation from God to his people. Because Christianity, and I know you know this, but Christianity is ultimately a relationship between God and his kids. That's ultimately what it is. And a relationship is different from an investigation. An investigation is what I find out about you without you even knowing that I'm finding out that information about you. A relationship is what I find out about you because you share it with me, because you hand it to me, because you invite me into those places. What God wants is not to find out things about us despite us. He's omniscient. Of course he can do that. What he wants is for us to invite him into the place where we are sharing what we're experiencing with him. Now we're having a relationship. That's the invitation of Psalm 13. It's ultimately an invitation to keep it real with God. For lack of a better phrase, it's an invitation to be real with our God, especially in the darkest seasons that we go through to communicate those things to him. And what we see is it's not just okay with God, despite what I grew up believing. It's not just okay with God for us to communicate some of the realest and rawest things that we experience. It's what he wants from us. It's what he desires from us. If you ask me, I think that's actually one of the reasons why David was considered a man after God's own heart. Because he brought the entirety of his heart 
to God. Not just the pretty pieces, not just the fixed up pieces, not just the fake platitudes that we speak over our dark places. He took the darkness, he took the rawness, he took all the junk and he brought it to God and said, this is, I don't like this. Where are you? I don't see you. That's not fair. That doesn't feel right. I wonder if that's not one of the reasons why he found himself in a deep and meaningful relationship with God. I was reading something recently that was saying the greatest killer of relationships is not some of the dark and shady behavior that you might think of. The greatest killer of relationship is when communication stops. And more particularly, when communication stops about the things I'm ashamed of, the things I struggle with, the things that I feel silly about. So I, I want to come across as strong. I want to come across as suave. So I'm going to polish up everything and give you the edited version of my life. And so I'm in my marriage and there's things I don't like. But if I can't say anything nice, let me just figure out all the nice things I have to say. But what ends up happening is half and then three quarters of my heart is kept out of the relationship. And so what we have is a quarter of a relationship. That's what ends up killing the relationship when it's all said and done. Because what I feel ashamed about and what I feel I should be strong enough to handle is what I end up being secretive about and is what ends up sabotaging the relationship. Isn't it a trip that we sabotage our relationship with God by keeping secrets from him when he sees it anyway? He knows when you're swearing in your heart. He knows when you're depressed. He knows when you're struggling. His only question is, why are you going to tell me about it? Are we going to actually talk about this? No, because I feel silly that I still feel that way. And I don't have anything nice to say. So wait till I figure out a nice way to say it. And then I'll communicate it to you. And we continue to sabotage our relationship with him. And I wonder if Psalm 13 isn't for many of us an invitation to come into deeper places of relationship with our God. Um. It's, it's beautiful when we think about it because we know this. That the gospel is one of the ugliest, messiest stories imaginable. It is about God meeting humanity in the most messy, gruesome, yucky place on the cross. If nothing else that should tell us, God has no problem meeting us in the grossness. He has no problem meeting us in the midst of our mess. It's what he did in the cross. The only question is, am I going to be willing to share, to speak, to be raw, to be real with him? And I do. I wonder if while some of us have been waiting for God to draw us close, God has been waiting for us to open our hearts and say, okay, God, I have a list of gripes to share with you. No, but you're not, nothing nice. Nope, I have a list of gripes to share with you. Where were you when this happened when I was eight? Where were you? I've never asked you that because I've never thought it was okay, but I want to know, where were you? And for some of you, you realize that's one of the reasons you've not moved forward. There's still questions, there's still heartache, there's still places you've just never opened up to God about. And he's saying, please come. And that's what David does. Some of us need to hear that God is not like your dad in this way. And what he says, if you can't say something nice, then say something real. I prefer it. Just be honest with me. Please, can we have a relationship? Can we talk? Say something real. Have you ever dared to tell God when he feels distant, when you feel disregarded by him, when you feel depressed, when you feel defeated, instead of going to try, no, I'm going to try and fight, and when I feel victorious, then I'll go talk to God. Oh, I want to meet you in the places of defeat. I want to meet you in the valley of depression. Will you call to me from there? So good, our Father, he is to us. Um, Here's a couple of quick challenges. Number one, for some of us, it's just simple. Take some time in the next couple of days to write out and verbalize to God 
a, a place that you know you've never communicated to him, a, a place of struggle, a place of despair, a, a, a place of how come, a place of disappointment that you've maybe just never verbalized, or maybe you've verbalized it, but you haven't verbalized it the way you feel it. You've verbalized a pretty version of it. And you know that. You know that any relationship, if I say to you, I'm so, so stinking mad right now, so mad about the thing, um, but I'm good, you know, whatever. Like, you, you don't even get to see anything of who I am. And I wonder for some of us, the challenge isn't to write it down and tell it to him. And it may start to come out messier than you expected, and you may be tempted to edit, and I'm saying, no, just write it and, and say it to him. Um, for others of us, um, my challenge to you is this. In fact, we might have this up on the screen. Remember and record his goodness. Um, remember and record his goodness. Um, that's how the, the, the psalm Ends, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And the reason I say this, to remember his, his goodness, is because for some of us, we sit in here and we can't really relate to going through difficult and dark times. Uh, but one of the reasons you want to do this and verbalize to him, hey, listen, I want to start keeping track. In fact, I started this again just the other day. Just one thing every day that I'm thankful for, that I'm keeping in a journal. Because I know dark days are coming. And I want to be able to go back and say, he has been good to me. But in the dark days, I don't tend to remember what he's doing right now. So I'm saying, can you camel hump a little praise? I mean, can you store a little of his goodness so that you can call on it when darkness falls? For some of us, that's what we need to go and write down. I don't feel like I've gone through anything challenging. Well, I would start recording some of the ways in which it's been good. I woke up this morning. Is that good? Trust me, there will be a day when that will be a long-gone memory, that you just woke up and you jumped out of bed and your knee didn't buckle. Um, so I wonder if for some of us we need to start writing and recording some of his goodnesses to us. But look again at Psalm, five, Psalm 13, 5 and 6. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I love that. I trust you. I rejoice in your salvation. I will sing your praise. I love that because it means... I can share the most real and raw and most depressed and dark things with God, and it doesn't mean I don't trust him. It doesn't mean I'm losing my salvation, and it doesn't mean I don't think he's still good. David ends this psalm by saying those things because he still believes them ultimately. The problem is we tend to tell God all the things we believe ultimately and not tell him what we're experiencing presently. And God is saying, no, tell me how you feel right now. Not just your resolution. And I wonder if he'll do something beautiful in us. So, Lord, thank you so much for this permission. Thank you so much for this example. Thank you so much for this invitation. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a church. We would be a bunch of people. We would be individuals who just learn to be real with you, to be honest with you, to share with you who we are, where we really are, knowing that you are big enough to handle it and knowing that you want to know us. And you want to meet us in some of the places we've insisted on keeping you out of. And may our lives be different. Again, Lord, you don't give resolution to us in this passage. But you do give an invitation to come closer to you. And so we praise you and help us to accept. In Jesus' name, amen.